Good morning, church. Welcome here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Rusty, the guy that's been insulted a couple of times already, and uh, I'm sure I'll have time to return the favor, though, at some point up here. Glad you're here this morning. I feel like I've kind of stepped into the set of Lion King here. I've stepped up to Pride Rock, and I can fulfill that dream I've always had of raising a baby high. Well, you all saying, I chibanyas. <laughs> Serafikiramo. <laughs> You're supposed to join in. Okay, you didn't. Shabunye. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Any kids, any babies here this morning I can borrow just for a moment? Cross it off the bucket list? Anyway. was that? Come on, Brenda. Oh, that's good. That's good. Really excited about VBS this coming week. It really is one of my favorite weeks of the year. I have to take a vacation after it, and I'm going to, but it's, it's just going to be an awesome week. So I just encourage you, um, if you're involved, thank you. You know, if you can't be here helping out, help out in prayer. Be praying for those kids. Uh, we've set a goal of 175 kids that we want to be, to be here to hear about Jesus Christ. And uh, many of those are from our, our church, but, but many more of those are just from our community. And uh, this is just a great way to, to minister to whole families and to build bridges. And so I uh, just would encourage you throughout the week to, just to remember that doesn't go down. It's either that or I'm just too weak. <clears throat> um, so appreciate your prayers for that. We're looking forward to that. If you've watched TV over the last number of years, you've certainly seen uh, these series of commercials put out by a whiskey company. Now, this is no endorsement of, of this company, but a whiskey company called Wiser's, uh, Wiser's Whiskey, had a series of commercials that, that uh, always began by depicting a man in a certain situation uh, who had to make a decision. And so in one of these commercials, there's a man with his wife walking through the mall, and she sees a store she really wants to go into, so she thrusts her pink purse into her husband's hand, and she runs into the store. And he's standing there, and he looks down at this pink purse, and then you know, this man has to make a decision. What is he going to do? And so in the commercial, if you've seen it, he takes out what's like a doggy poo-poo bag, puts it over his hand, drops the purse, and, and picks it up with his bag and puts it over the purse like that and, and, and holds it that way. And it's kind of a funny, uh, it's kind of a funny video. And, and then it cuts to a series of well-dressed, distinguished-looking gentlemen slow clapping as someone raises a toast to this man for making the wise decision, which, of course, is the manly decision, wise decision. And the commercials end with the statement, welcome to the wiserhood, right? <laughs> You've seen those? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you just. <laughs> You're more spiritual than I am. I get it. I get it. Welcome to the wiserhood. And the idea is you've, you've now entered the company of the wise. Uh, this book we're going through over our summer, we began this series last week, uh, going through the book of, of Proverbs. Uh, it, it's all about inviting us into the company of the wise, to become a part of the wiserhood. Uh, 
If you've been reading uh, through the book of Proverbs already, keeping up with that reading plan, that's awesome. The word that you come across more than any other in the book of Proverbs is the word wisdom. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. In fact, it begins right at the very beginning after it introduces Solomon as the author of this book. The very next words, to gain wisdom. That's the purpose of the book, to gain wisdom. It's a book written by Solomon, a father, uh, to his young son to try to prepare him for life. All that's going to happen, all, all the situations that his son is going to find himself in. Because we know that life presents us with a lot of challenges and an awful lot of choices. Somehow studies have, have, have found out that the average person makes about 35,000 conscious choices every day. Most of those really little, some of them not so little. We make choices all the time and more than at any point in history, we are bombarded with, a, with just a buffet of choices to make. This is life. Full of all sorts of challenges and choices. Wisdom, if you were here last week, we defined this way. Wisdom is the ability to say or to do the right thing in the right way at the right time. Wisdom is the ability to make the right choice in a situation. And in that way, wisdom is a little bit different from knowledge. We often talk about them together. And, and in the book of Proverbs, you find those two ideas, knowledge and wisdom, together. But, but they're a little bit different, aren't they? Knowledge is more about kind of what's true or false. It's about facts. Knowledge is more about information. Some of you already know that, that I, I just have this real love of geography. I was a geography nerd. So when I was growing up as a boy, you know, seven, eight years old, I, I was sprawled out on the living room floor with, remember when they had encyclopedias before Wikipedia? You actually had books that had information in them? My parents, had thousand, and remember you pay thousands of dollars for that? The book of encyclopedias? And I'd be sprawled out on the floor, and, and every page of those encyclopedias that had to do with a country of the world was just worn out. The others were all like new. But I just loved geography. And so by the age of 10, I, I had memorized the capitals of all 200 and some countries in the world. It was kind of my thing. You know, I just loved geography. And it, and it came in handy once in a while. I remember in grade seven, my grade seven teacher, just out of the blue, had a big Toblerone bar on his desk. And he said, hey, if anyone here knows the capital of Burundi, I'll give you my Toblerone bar. He said with a smirk, Bujumbura. <laughs> I still remember that look on his face. As he came and delivered me the Toblerone bar, like, who are, what are you, you freak? <laughs> Could I tell you that Vilnius is the capital of Lithuania, and that the second largest city is Kaunas, and the third largest city is Klaipeda? Yes, I could tell you that. And could I use that information to impress the one Lithuanian person I've ever met in my life? Happen to be a waitress at a restaurant by Duluth? Yes, I could tell you that I could impress that one Lithuanian person I've met in my life. So I mean, it's, it's interesting, all this information, this knowledge, but you know, at the end of the day, none of that has helped me build a healthy marriage, deal with conflict in relationships. None of that's helped me manage my money properly or, or to know how to raise or discipline my children well. Hasn't helped me in that respect. For that, we need wisdom. If, it, if knowledge is about uh, information, then wisdom is really about implementation, right? It's not so much knowing what, it's, it's about knowing how. The ability to say or do the right thing in the right time 
in the right way. And, and as the book of Proverbs says, that's the path to success. It's not so much knowledge, it's wisdom that we need. Wisdom leads to life. In fact, the book of Proverbs presents life as, as two divergent paths, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. And there are only but two paths, Solomon tells us, wisdom and folly. Wisdom is the path of life and folly is the path of, of ruin. Where does one get wisdom? Solomon says, and, and if you've been reading through the first couple chapters, it's a phrase you've heard again and again, and it's a really important phrase in, in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. He says in Proverbs 9, 10, he says, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And last week we talked about how the fear of the Lord means just respecting God as God. Living life as if God is God. Treating Him with seriousness. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so this is just so important because we said that Proverbs is just not a bunch of tips about how to live life well. Proverbs is about introducing us to the one that we need to know in order to be wise. Because at the end of the day, wisdom is about aligning your life with the will and the plan of God. That's where it begins. It's about aligning your life with the will and the plan of God. And, and we know that Jesus came into the world and God's will and God's plan for us was fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus, the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so in the New Testament, Jesus is actually called on a number of occasions the wisdom of God. Wisdom isn't a tip, it's a person. And so if you just kind of keep focusing what wisdom is, what we see at the end of the day is wisdom is trusting Jesus. And therefore, foolishness is not trusting Jesus. In Jesus, God has revealed fully his will and his plan for us. Jesus is wisdom. That's just kind of a recap of last week for those of you who weren't here to set the stage for this morning. We're going to look at another keyword, maybe the next keyword after wisdom and the fear of the Lord. You know, there's a third type of person that Proverbs introduces us to. It talks a lot about the wise and the fool. But there is a third type of person that, that Solomon calls the simple. The simple. What is the simple? Now, the simple is one who has the ability to become the wise or the ability to become the fool. The simple is kind of that young, inexperienced person who's kind of unshaped, uninformed, and a person who could take one of these two different paths. The simple. The simple will become either the wise or the fool. And what determines that? What determines that? Well, the author of Proverbs says what determines whether, this, whether a person will become wise or become a fool is, maybe more than anything else, their response to correction. Their response to correction. If we've got a key verse, we're going to jump around and look at a few uh, different Proverbs, but this is maybe our key verse, 12 verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Now that says that in the Bible. Don't blame me. I thought of titling this sermon, How Not to Be Stupid, because that's what this is. 
okay? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, now you see that those words discipline and, and, and correction are kind of correlate with one another. As you're reading through Proverbs, you're going to see these words that kind of all come together. Correction, discipline, rebuke, advice, counsel. What is that? What is, what is correction and discipline? I think we have an understanding of, of what that means. It, it, it means to the, the, the dictionary definition to draw attention to some error or deficiency or lack with the intent of guiding one towards righteousness, guiding one towards something better, to draw attention to an error, deficiency, or lack. So what we're going to see in the book of Proverbs in this morning is that the simple become wise by loving correction, and the simple become fools by hating correction. That's the difference. So the question as we begin this morning for all of us to consider and then you're going to go home with is the question, do you love correction or do you loathe correction? It's probably one or the other. Do you love correction or do you loathe correction? The answer to that question will determine the path we take. So we are, we are called, if we're to be wise, to love correction. So what, what I want to do in the few minutes this morning is just to just kind of share three ways that we can love correction. Three ways. The first way is this. Uh, to be quick to listen. You find that word listening coming up over and over again in the Proverbs, right there near the beginning, 1 verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. The wise listen. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Listening leads to learning, we're told. You cannot get wise without it, without listening. This is not rocket science. I mean, the Greek philosopher Zeno, uh, who had never heard of before, truth be told, said there is a reason that God gave us two ears but one mouth to do twice as much listening as we do talking. Essentially what James says, right James? We, we went through that book a couple of months ago. James 1.19 when he says, brothers and sisters, you all should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because that anger doesn't produce the sort of life that God wants for us. But what does is a quickness to listen and a slowness to speak because no one ever got wiser by speaking without listening first. So we're told that our first response, uh, we, we all know what it's like to receive correction, discipline, a rebuke, advice, criticism, maybe. You know what this is like, and, and if you're like me, you know that your first response is not necessarily to listen and ponder, is it? It's to talk, to defend, to justify, to explain oneself. Now, my wife is at home with a sick kid this morning, so I can talk about her. If you promise it doesn't leave this room. Promise? <laughs> Swear? No. You know, once in a while, my wife and I have a row. A row? What's the right word? Row. row. We have arguments. Yeah. Sometimes there's correction given one way or the other. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one here? 
Anyway, a couple days ago, and she's fine with me saying this, we, we, we had a little row, right? Well, where essentially what was happening was, was, was um, my, my wife was shining some light on a defect. <laughs> now, that, that's not the first time that's happened. And, and boy, I, I'm a slow learner. I'm a slow learner. I should listen. But boy, you know, the, the truth can hurt. The truth can hurt. The truth sometimes doesn't like to be heard. And so I, I knew what she was saying was very legitimate. And even if I didn't want to acknowledge that, even if I wanted to explain or justify or, 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 or defend myself, because that's the propensity that I have, and maybe you can um, relate that in your own life. Uh, some people are harder to listen to than others. Right? Sometimes it's harder to hear something from a parent or maybe to hear from something from a spouse than it is to hear from a friend. Or maybe something is harder to hear from a critic or an enemy the way it is from a, a confidant. I, I, I don't know, but it's really easy to dismiss some voices because of who they are and because of the motive that might be behind the word. The correction, because sometimes that motive doesn't even come from a good place. You're always like this, you loser. That's not what my wife said, just to be clear. She uses far more harsh language than that. You know, but, but honestly, I look back in my life, back when I was a high school student, which, yes, was not all that long ago. Thank you, Mark. And um, back when I, when, I, when I worked road construction in a crew of a lot of people who did not share or necessarily appreciate my faith, but they knew what I said I stood for. And when somehow that wasn't aligning with my life, they were pretty quick to draw my attention to that thing. I thought you were this. You said that, you hypocrite or whatever, right? Say something. Maybe it was even mean-spirited. And it's easy when someone presents correction through criticism to just dismiss it and wants to silence the critic. But, but the wise people listen. The wise person knows that God can speak truth through any mouth, regardless of the motive or the relationships. God has many ways that he can speak, and, and, and sometimes those, those, uh, that, that truth comes out more clearly from someone we might not wanna hear from or respect. The wise will listen to, to correction and criticism regardless of where it comes from because truth is truth no matter what. In fact, that great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, I think of the 1800s, this is what he said. He said, get your friend to tell you your faults or better still, welcome any enemy who will watch you keenly and sting you savagely. What a blessing such an irritating critic will be to a wise man, but what an intolerable nuisance to a fool. Welcome any enemy who will watch you and sting you savagely. It will be a blessing to a wise man. Man, I think that's what Solomon is saying here when he, uh, in, in 12 verse 16, he goes on to say, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent, the wise, overlook an insult. 
which I think is a way of saying they're able to distinguish the truth from the criticism, the correction from the mouth of the one who speaks it. They're able to overlook that because they're interested in that nugget of truth that might help them grow, become better. We need to listen to learn. Not just hear the words, but listen to, to focus and to reflect and to evaluate the words of others to us, wherever that comes from, and say, God, is there any truth to this? Is there any truth to this? So one characteristic of of wisdom is that it always listens. Even if you don't agree in the end, it always listens. And the first words out of a wise person's mouth are probably the words, thank you. Thank you. And maybe after that, maybe some questions. Be quick to listen and you will become wise. Secondly, the wise invite correction. I think this is what what is meant by the statement that we are to love correction. We are to invite correction from those around us. See, the love, I mean, do you love correction? That doesn't come naturally, does that? That doesn't just mean to tolerate it. It doesn't just mean to receive it. It doesn't just mean to welcome it. I think it means to invite it. If you love it, to ask for correction. Wise people hunger for constructive criticism more than praise because criticism instructs and praise does not. I read that somewhere. It's a smart person said that. Wise people hunger for constructive criticism more than praise because criticism instructs, praise does not. And by golly, we all have blind spots, don't we? The problem is you don't know what it is. Maybe, it, maybe you do, but many of us have blind spots, and we're not even really sure what that is because we don't see something from our perspective. But God may speak and give insight to us through another, and the wise cherishes that. The wise looks for that. The wise doesn't just receive it when it comes, but invites it because they want to grow. That's the wise. The wise doesn't want to stay the same. The wise wants to grow. The wise wants to get wiser. The good want to get better. They want to be proactive and not reactive. I don't know if you've ever done that. You ever invited correction? You ever said to your spouse, What are my flaws? You probably don't have to ask. They probably already told you that, is my guess, right? How can I get better? How do I need to grow? You ever asked someone, a close friend or a confidant, a peer? The wise don't just receive correction when it comes. To love it means to desire it, to... Uh, to invite it because it's through it that we, that we grow. And then that's the difference between the wise and the fool, right? The wise wants to be right. We, we sometimes say about people, that person just always has to be right. Well, that's not quite true. They want to be seen to be right. And there's a difference, right? The wise person wants to be right. They want to do right. The fool gets annoyed because they just want to be seen to be right. And where does that come from? That just comes from pride, right? 
It comes from the insecurity that my worth or my status or my value or whatever is attached to the way that other people see me. So it's really important to me how I am seen and acknowledged by another. So so the fool just wants to be seen to be right, but the wise person wants to be right. So they invite correction. In fact, this comes from Psalm 139. These are the words of David when he's kind of doing this to God. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and, my, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what he's doing. He's saying, God, show me. Are there, are there blind spots? Are there deficiencies? Are there, is there lack, God? I want to know. Search me. This is David's heart. And, and you know, I, I think that's what made, makes David a man after God's own heart. It's not because he was a particularly ho- holy or moral person. The guy was a murderer and an adulterer. He was bad. He was a pretty bad guy. He did some bad things on a few counts. But he was a man after God's own heart, not because he was especially clean. It's because when he made a mess of things, he was humble and teachable. He could receive correction when the prophet Nathan comes to him and lays before him something he had done which was wrong, the other kings would have taken a spear and cut the person in two. How dare you say that to the king? Who do you think you are? Not David. When he hears the truth, he receives it. He loves it, even if it hurts, even if it stings. Because he wants to be right. He wants to do right. He was a man after God's own heart because he, not because he was holy, he was humble. He was teachable. So I would just in, encourage you, and maybe when I, when I give you some assignments at the end, I'll, I'll do that again, but you ever done this with a wise friend? You ever been proactive instead of reactive? Hey, will you search me? Is there any offensive way in me? Anyway, I can grow you ever invited correction? I mean, the, the great thing about that is it'll give permission for people to be honest with you, unless you don't want that, but it'll give permission for that to happen, for growth to happen. Maybe you, maybe you, you hear a word and you just need to get a, a, a second opinion. And not everyone's right all the time. Sometimes my wife is wrong. In fact, most of the time, no, I'm not gonna say that. I'm not gonna say that. No, she's, she's normally, she's a very discerning person. Normally I know right away, you're right. You know, people aren't always right. You need to say, okay, is God, is there any truth to this? God, is there any truth to this? Maybe he's bringing that for God, bringing that before another wise, wise person. So-and-so said this, hey, what do you think? What do you think? There's a Yiddish proverb that goes like this. If one man call you an ass, pay him no mind. But if two men call you an ass, go buy a saddle. Okay? <laughs> The wise, if they are to love correction, will not, they, they won't just tolerate it or receive it. They'll actually invite it because they know it is the way to grow and they're hungry to grow. Thirdly, uh, the, those who would love correction would surround themselves with, with people wiser than themselves. 
We don't naturally do this. We naturally surround ourselves with people just like ourselves because that's comfortable. That's comfortable. But the wise will, will seek out and surround themselves with, 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 with people that they want to be like. It says this, Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully. Uh, I think next Sunday, Andrew's gonna talk about uh, friendship from the book of Proverbs. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. You see two very different attitudes between the wise uh, and the fool. The wise put themselves in a place with wiser people who are going to challenge and correct. You know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. They're going to put themselves close to a sharpener. But the fool doesn't want any part of that. The fool doesn't want to change. And so they will avoid the wise. And they will surround themselves with people just like themselves, people that will speak only affirming voices and never correcting voices. The people around you will have great influence over you, right? I mean, I, I don't know too many things in life that have a greater influence over you than the people you surround yourself with. Obviously, the person you marry, that's really important. Right? The people you surround yourself with will have great influence in shaping you because we, we know this, even secular studies, divorce is contagious. A grumbling spirit is contagious. Materialism is contagious. Okay? What Proverbs tells us is foolishness is contagious and wisdom is contagious. The wise will seek out people that they want to be like. People that they know will provide instruction and good counsel, and maybe some correction. But a fool just wants to surround themselves with affirming voices. And Paul talked about this. 2 Timothy 4.3, he talked about people that would gather around them, others and teachers who would just say what their itching ears would want to hear. And he says, don't be like that. You can't grow that way. So how are you choosing your friends? Do you surround yourself with, with wiser people, people that you want to be like? How do you pick your friends? You might hear more about that next week. Do they sharpen you or do they make you dull? You know, there, there is another proverb that talks about friendship. I find this in Proverbs 18, 24. Uh, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, when Solomon wrote that, I have no idea what he meant. Yeah, I can't crawl into his head. What did you mean? What were you thinking? Who was this friend? Is this just like, there are types of friends out there who just are really good friends? Not really sure, but, but he says there is, there, there aren't just friends, there, there is a friend out there who sticks closer to brother. And, and I really believe, as we said last week, that, that Proverbs really is a book about Jesus to introduce us to the true and perfect wisdom of God. I, I, I think what God has in mind here is there is a friend and his name is Jesus. There's one the best friend you can have who will stick to you closer to, uh, closer to you than, than anyone else could, any other brother. I think he's saying the most important friend to have is Jesus. This is what I hear when I, when I see this verse. The most important friend to have is Jesus because, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ equips us to receive and to love correction. 
If there's anyone who can love correction, it should be those who know Jesus Christ because the gospel, the good news of Jesus equips us to do that in a few different ways. First of all, the gospel of Jesus, it humbles us, doesn't it? There is no way to enter the kingdom of God except by being humbled. We're told in, in, in John chapter 3 that, that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, that means you need saving from. You need saving. You're in a bad spot. What do we need to be saved from? Well, we need to be saved from our sin, right? We need to be saved from ourselves, our flaws, our mistakes, and the penalty of that. And because God loves us, he, he comes not just to condemn us as a critic saying a harsh word, even though it be true. Jesus comes to convict us, first of all, of our need for something outside of ourselves. To call us to repentance, which means to do a 180. That's what the word repentance means. It means you're going this way, and something changes, and now you go this way. In fact, Jesus tells a story, a parable about a, a Pharisee, a religious guy, and a tax collector, and they both go to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee goes up front and he says, oh God, Father, thank you that I'm not like these other guys who are woeful sin. Thank you that, that I, like, I, I'm not like those, those adulterers and liars and cheats. Uh, I fast twice a week, and that's how he's praying. And Jesus, then there's another guy, he's a tax collector. He's at the back, and he hangs his head, and all he says is, God, God, forgive me for I am a sinner. Have mercy on me for I am a sinner. That's his prayer. And what does Jesus say? He asks the crowd, you tell me, which one of those two was justified before God? Which one of those two was made right before God? He says, it was the tax collector. The humble one. And Jesus says, those who, will, who are humble will be exalted, and those who are exalted will be laid low. That's what the gospel does. To accept it, it, it first humbles you. It shows us that we are sinners in need of help outside of ourselves, and that there is no way into God's kingdom except by receiving the correction of God. And to receive that is good, loving that correction. That's what repentance is. So the gospel, I mean, it first of all humbles us. I mean, if there's anyone who should be able to receive correction and love correction, it should be Christians. This is how we got our start. This is how we got our start. It's the only way. The gospel of Jesus humbles us. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just humble us, but it secures us. It shows us that we are made not right with God, not, not because of our efforts, that, that we accumulated enough good in our own lives. No. The gospel tells us that Jesus did it all for us on the cross and we receive the gift of God, the gift of his forgiveness, the gift of his presence, the gift of eternal life, not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done on our behalf. And we receive that gift through faith in Jesus. In that alone, we are forgiven and we are reconciled and God accepts us and his favor is on us and we become a child of God. There's great security in that. God loves you no matter what you do. The mistakes of your past, present, or future. God, your relationship with God is not dependent on that. The gospel tells me God loves me and accepts me in spite of my flaws and in spite of my foolishness. 
God loves me. And he accepts me the way I am and welcomes me the way I am through faith in Jesus Christ. And boy, that makes all the difference because that gives me the ability, that should give us the ability to receive discipline and, and correction in a way that, that might be harder for other people. Because I am totally secure in my, I have a firm foundation of security. My worth as a person is not attached to my ability to be good. My status, my, 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 my security, my worth is completely attached to un, God's unconditional love and grace and acceptance of me. That's where I stand. That's the firm foundation of the gospel and that gives us the ability to accept correction and criticism because that isn't a threat. That's not a threat to my worth. I already know the truth of myself. And God loves me anyway. And he did this for me anyway. I already know the truth about myself. I can't be shaken by the truth. It cannot hurt me. It does not threaten me. I'm able to hear the truth about myself because of the truth that God has told me about myself. Because of the truth of the gospel. I'm, I'm able to have the strength to face my faults to face my shortcomings because I am secure through the gospel of Jesus. You get what I'm saying? Makes all the difference. I mean, I mean if your security and your worth and your identity, if, if, if it's all on that firm foundation, I will not be undone or threatened or shaken by, by the truth. So the gospel humbles us, it secures us. Lastly, the, the God, God doesn't leave us there. The gospel changes us. God didn't just save us from something. God saved us for something. I've, I've said this before a number of times. God has saved us for something. He wants us to live the life, to have the life that we were created to have he wants us to be new, and God makes us new. He changes us. He loves us where he, we are, but because he loves us so much, he doesn't leave us where we are, right? I mean, that, that's, that's essentially what the author of Hebrews said. When he quotes, uh, he quotes Proverbs chapter three in this, in Hebrews 12, verse five, it says, now in quoting, uh, in quoting Proverbs, my son, do, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't lose heart when, when, when God rebukes you, when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It produces a harvest of good, of life. God loves us too much to leave us where we are. He wants to change us. Uh, and this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what is the purpose of God? We find in the very next verse that the purpose of God is to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. That's the purpose of the gospel. God called us 
in order to conform us, that we become more and more like the perfectly wise one, Jesus Christ. So if, if, if we're following Christ, that should be our desire. I mean, that's what it means to follow Christ. You know that, right? Following Christ doesn't mean just believing in Christ. Following Christ means becoming like Christ. If we're Christians, then, then, then our desire is to become like Him. And if that's the case, then, boy, if there's anyone who should receive and welcome and even invite and love correction, boy, it should be us. It should be the one who knows Jesus Christ because he wants to be conformed to the likeness of that which is perfectly wise and good. That should be, that's, that's a part of our DNA as Christians. So back to that question I had for, for you at the outset. Are you living like you love correction? How do you respond to that? How have you been responding to that? Do you love correction or do you loathe correction? I mean, that, that's a question to take, to just to take home with you. The wise love correction because that's the path of life. It's the path of growth. As we think about taking this home, there's just a few things that I want to leave with you before I invite us into a, a moment of prayer. Um, and I guess the first thing I would say, number one there, um, if, if you're here this morning and you have never actually repented of your way, and trusted in God's way, and trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it starts. That's it. You can't put the cart before the horse. That's where it starts. The fear of the Lord, aligning your life with God's will is the beginning of wisdom. And so this morning, if, if, if you're not sure what I mean by that, or you're not sure that you've done that, like that, that that's re- repentance and faith in Jesus is something that you can do today. And if that's something that you want to talk more about or someone you want, uh, you, you want someone to kind of help you do that, maybe, maybe pray a, a, a prayer like that, then come speak to myself or one of us pastors. We have a prayer team after the service at the Welcome Center. They've got a little tags, say prayer team. They'd be happy if you found them to just maybe take you into a quiet room and, and they can have that conversation with you. But that's where it all begins. Maybe some of you this morning, that's where it has to start. For the rest of us, this is a question I think we should maybe pray over and ponder. Is is there any way in which you have been resisting or resenting correction or discipline? Maybe some area of your life. Maybe some voice in your life. Any way where you have been resisting or, or, or resenting, not loving correction. That's something to think about. And then just a, a, maybe a task I would give you this week. This is what I want to invite you to do. Uh, to go this week, and, and maybe someone this week is, gonna, is going to offer some advice, counsel, rebuke, uh, correction, or discipline. Maybe, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll come from a teacher, or a spouse, a family member, a friend, a boss, or whoever, an enemy. When that happens this week, listen, and, and then the first words that, that you ought to say are the words... Thank you. Can you say it? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, and maybe, that, maybe you're a really good person. That's not going to happen through the week. Or maybe the people, you, you've already beat up the people around you, and they're, and they're, just, they're way too gun-shy to say anything about you, to you, right? I, I don't know. But, but maybe there's someone in your life that, 
that has, 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 has been that voice, and maybe you didn't respect it at the time, and you didn't abide by it, and then you, but you, you look back and you see how that was good, that was love, that was wisdom. Maybe what you want to do is, and maybe it happened a long time ago, maybe you just want to call someone. I mean, maybe it's an elderly parent and say, I don't think I ever thank you for that. Thank you. Whatever form it takes, that's what I invite you to do. Thank someone for correction this week. And then alongside that, um, if you have the courage to do this, if you're going to listen, then uh, is, is there someone in your life you can ask for uh, correction from this week? Would you do that? And not, not, not just wait for it to happen or receive it, but, 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 but is, is there someone that you go to and you can, can you say, search me? Search me. I want to know because I want to grow. So I encourage you to do those two things as you go. To thank someone this week, to ask someone this week, uh, to be wise. I want to invite us into a moment of prayer. Maybe we can begin just by talking with God here before we, we close with a, a final song, a free to go. If you want to bow your head, uh, close your eyes if you like, uh, just take a, a moment to, maybe first of all, just to thank God. Thank God that he loves you in spite of your flaws. In spite of your foolishness and your failure. Just take a moment to thank God that he loves you. And he's shown his love for you through his son Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to take another moment and just say to God, God, um, I want to love correction. I don't know if I do, but I think I ought to. It's part of me that wants to. Lord, help me to be that sort of person uh, that not just tolerates it and receives it, but welcomes it and invites it. Help me to love correction, Lord. Lord, I want to grow. Ask God to make you more and more that sort of person. Maybe lastly, you want to just take a moment and, and, and say to God what, what David said to God. God, just search me. Search my heart. Search my mind. Search my life. Lord, if there's any way in which it's not aligning with your good will for me, um, Lord, please, would you show that to me? Just take a moment to ask him that. Keep praying that prayer throughout this week. God will speak to you. Father God, we do love you. We love you because you loved us first. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of you, just doing our own thing, going our own way, Lord over our own lives, you, you, you sent your son into the world to make a way, to pay for our sins, to pave a way to... Uh, to the good life we were created to have, the life that we can have with you forever. We thank you, Lord, 
for what you have done for us, what you are for us, the security that you give us in you, or that just depends on your grace and not our goodness. We thank you, Lord, and we just want to, we want to be people that, um, we want to be, that to be a part of our DNA, Lord. We want to be conformed to Jesus. We want to grow. We want to change in a good way, Lord. So we just want to say that we're, we're, we're open to, we're open and desiring of that, Father. Just uh, do that work in us by your Holy Spirit. Use the peop- use your word. Use the voice of your Holy Spirit. Use those around us, Father, um, to be your voice, uh, to cause us to grow and to change in the direction that you want us to go. So, Father, as we go into this week and as you know what we're going to face, Lord, and, and if we find ourselves in a situation where, where we're on the receiving end of some of that, I just pray that uh, you would just allow us to be those that um, love correction. And, uh, Lord, as we begin this VBS tomorrow, uh, we, we already pray over all those kids and those families. Lord, we just pray that those kids would have an encounter with you this week. Some of those kids already know you. Some of them maybe don't know anything about you. Lord, we just pray that every one of those kids draw closer to you, would discover that you are good, that would bring you into the center of their life. And we just pray that, that we as a church would just be able to serve and bless, build relationships with the families of this community. Lord, just, just use us uh, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us um, this week, wherever, wherever we go. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.